Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Is hair a material? Are biscuits a material? Are crystals a material? Is plastic a material? Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Are eggs a material? Is water a material? What do you call everything that isn't a material? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at your question. And yet you continue to do so. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Handmade, the making podcast with real talk about materials. I'm your host, material scientist Anna Pajajski, and this episode I talked to the brilliant Izzy Lawrence about craft in the suffragette movement. Izzy is an amazing stand-up comedian. We've done a few gigs together back when gigging together was a thing. Um, and she's also an author of a children's historical fiction book, does history presenting work for the British Museum and Radio 4, and also produces a number of her own podcasts as well. In this conversation, we talk about the role of craft and making in the suffragette movement, since this was the world that Izzy wrote about in her book, which is called The Unstoppable Letty Peg. I started by asking Izzy if she writes historical fiction because she was once upon a time a history student herself. No. No. <laughs> Actually, weirdly, I have a science degree, but that science is geography. Shut up, it counts. Um, so that is my background, isn't that? Though I've always read history and read around history. I've got an A-level in history and the rest of it, but I'm not a, I'm not strictly an historian. Nice. I am a fan of historians <laughs> and what they say and what they find out. And I like to do my own primary research, go down the National Archives, get, you know, oh, nice. fingers a bit inky. And uh, yeah, no, that's that's good and fun. However, um, yeah, no, no, absolutely, completely winging it on this end of the the podcast. So nice. <laughs> well, you're winging it extremely well so far. Well, thank you very much. So today we're going to be talking about. Well, this is actually my own fault because normally every episode I name it a certain material, mm -hmm. but. Actually, we I don't think we've really got a particular material in mind for this one. It's more a kind of making movement, I suppose. Yeah. How, how, do, how, do, how do crafts feature in violent protest? Um, there you go. <laughs> in this essay, I will. <laughs> well, you know how needles hurt when you sew? That's no, 
That's nothing compared to a policeman's junction. Yeah, so the, this book, what I wrote, um, is called The Unstoppable Letty Peg, and it's about a little girl set in 1910. Her dad is a policeman and her mum is a suffragette, so it's all about her being caught in the middle of the suffragette movement, uh, having family on both sides and her stuck in the middle. And she learns jiu-jitsu with Edith Garrett, who taught, trained the suffragette bodyguard, and she has lots of adventures, mainly involving a lot of horse poo. But there is some craft work in here. So she, she's a very good... She loves a bit of embroidery, um does um does letty she's a she's a she's a good embroiderist and she also i think her and mabel make some um i think they make some paper chains weirdly for christmas and also they make um those little rosette badges um at some point as well so the craft is in her but actually crafting as part of the suffragette movement was huge um mainly because that was your basic skill set of the women there so there's various ways that they sort of showed that you're a suffragette is to wear the colours. So you had the, you know, white for purity or something, um, purple for loyalty and green for burning down stuff. I can't remember. But yes, those are the, the signifying colours with the white, the green and the purple. And like Selfridges would sell them ribbons of these things and you go away and you'd add them to little bits and bobs i think as well they used to carry around little boxes there were there was a lot more carrying around of sort of knickknacks back in the day and so you'd have these little uh, i think they were metal boxes that are heart-shaped which would be painted to look suffragette and of course you know later on there's some real skills going on so you had not only beautiful embroidered flags um i don't think there were any strictly any tapestries uh but there were you know big banners that were being held up women dressing in a sort of uniform um you also had um well let me think you also had like the jewelers as well so uh, there was actual suffragette jewelry being made you know properly um and also anybody who went to prison and stayed there a certain amount of time and protested and tried to become a political prisoner got a medal which was all ah. sort of made as well. So this is there's a they left behind a lot of craft work, um, and artistry and everything else. So it was a major part of their movement. And of course they used to do you know, it sounds ridiculous, but it was a bit like the WI. They used to do bake sales, so they used to have these great like huge exhibitions where they would open up Caxton Hall and that sort of thing and have fill it with the public and as well as their bake sales it was an educational experience for people to come in so they had like fake prison cells that you could go in and see what it was like being a suffragette this is no like in, yeah no in 1909 <laughs> this is what you did for a bit of fun and you know and the, the costumes as well so they used to like edith garrett herself who was she was trained in jiu-jitsu so she features heavily in my book um and she um trained at the Golden Square Dojo in Soho, which was originally opened by Edward Barton Wright, who was your first mixed martial artist, really, because he combined swinging and, and um, jiu-jitsu and savats and all of these different types of fighting. And he made his own gentleman's fighting called Bartitsu, which is <laughs> named after himself, but he called it Bartitsu, because that's the most serious thing. And right? he giggle, but a lot of people go, yeah, I know Bartitsu, is that not real? Because they read it um, in Sherlock Holmes. Because, oh, okay. um, yeah, Arthur Conan Doyle wrote about it as a... Anyway. So that and the fairies, he was a, he was a great one for his research. But yeah, so um, Edith Garrard would, as part of her, you know, sort of, I don't, I don't know if she was a member of WSPU early on, 
but she did um, support them and help raise money for them. So she is a member of the Actresses Franchise League who, you know, try to raise the esteem of women. So you had a load of performances, plays, songs, all of this, you know, up the women and all the rest of it. And she um, would perform in front of a room full of people, have a man attack her, usually dressed up as a police officer, and she'd throw him a Ponsonagi to the floor and beat his brains out, much to the surprise and delight of the crowds. She even wrote plays herself, which she then later performed. Um, Naomi Paxton is the person you need to ask about all of this in detail because she's written okay. <laughs> brilliant books about uh, about what the suffragettes all got up to. The stories that she can tell are absolutely incredible. However, that's what the suffragettes were doing. So it's a sort of great effort. And it was mainly to raise money. That was their issue. They needed money. And, you know, at the time... They were raising the WSPU, which is the Women's Social and Political Union, or as Letty Pegg calls them, WISPU. Well, WISPU were over. They were they were raising more money than the Labour Party. So this oh, is wow. a huge. You know, there are huge political movements, and they were their own thing. They weren't the suffragists' movement. The suffragist movement was even larger, but less bangy, fighty, Bernie mm. Downey, smashy, smashy than the WSPU, which was started by Emmeline Pankhurst and had all, you know, had all the ladies in that you like, like Emily Davidson, who got um, run over by a horse. So all of yeah, that... all the of the radicals, that, right? Yeah, yeah, the radicals are the ones that you see the most crafts mm. and you see the most effort gone into because they were radical in every way. And, you know, as well as doing the low craft art of women, they would go into places like the British Library and British Museum, which is the same building, but sharp, and the National Gallery and smash stuff. So smash the high art and offer crumpets. That is <laughs> <laughs> what they were up to. So it was a really sort of interesting time, I suppose, to be, yeah... I don't know. Do you have any questions? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, loads of questions. I guess it's really interesting. So you said it was nine. Your book is set in nineteen ten. Yeah, nineteen ten to nineteen eleven. That is when I decided. Is that kind of like the the peak of the suffragette movement? I'd say it gets really nasty in nineteen twelve. Because what was okay. happening was you basically had this sort of general consensus that they probably should let women vote, and they sort of agreed on that in nineteen oh four. So by 1910, they'd spent the entire year waiting for Asquith to bring about this bill that would let them... The trouble with Asquith didn't have much of a majority and he'd been trying to get a majority, but he'd only got a majority through um, a coalition with the Irish. And so he had Irish MPs who he didn't want to rely upon. So instead of... You know, this, um, con- oh, I think they called it the Consolation Bill, which would allow women to vote along with a few extra men. Um, they said, no, we're going to call another election. And that's the moment that my book starts because there was a big event called Black Friday where all the suffragettes, um, the WSPU specifically, marched on Parliament. And the Home Secretary at the time thought, oh, gosh, they're going to march on us. I tell you what, don't arrest them. If you arrest them, they're going to go to prison, they're going to protest, they'll be in the papers, it'll be terrible. Just stop them getting in Parliament, but don't arrest them. And the policemen you what? You know, they just don't stop if we ask them, right? And, the, the you know, and Winston Churchill was like, I do not care. <laughs> so the police and the suffragettes fought for about 10 hours. It was ridiculous. Um, wow. In the end, even though no arrests, please, I think 114 women were arrested that day and about five blokes. Um, but the women were, you know, the police encouraged the crowds to, you know, assault them and 
you know, in my books for kids, I don't say what type of assault, but that type of assault too was happening. Now, Mrs. Billinghurst was, you know, chucked out of her tricycle, which was like a wheelchair at the time. You had women who suffered broken legs um, and who later died of, you know, some other women died of heart failure and that sort of thing a few days later. So the stress of it was ridiculous and mm. it was a huge massive event and it made all the papers the next day and it backfired on Winston Churchill as it should do however mm. <laughs> um yeah so that's that's why I set it then it's because it's just at the start of it but later in 1912 what happened was the you know the the politicians were like well what's happening is the women are starving themselves in prison and we're force feeding them and that's disgusting and unpopular and they're still getting ill. So we're trying to stop them from dying and they're still getting really ill. Um, in my book, that Christmas of 1910 um, uh, is the first death um, from starvation, which is actually Emmeline Pank, her sister, who is Mrs. Mm. Clark. She was married and so her name was Mrs. Clark and she died um, over Christmas that year um, because she just, you know, she was, I think she was arrested in the Battle of Downing Street, which was the protest to the previous protest, because it's, it's so it's so amazingly, you know, easy to remember all this, isn't it? But um, <laughs> but she 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 died, and so the, they had this problem of how what do we do? And so what they the, the what the government did was say, okay, look, if the women are going to starve themselves, fair enough, we'll release them the moment that they look like they're a bit peaky. They can get out of prison, go, and they can. Recover, but the moment they're recovered, we're bringing them back in prison. And then, if they're still starving themselves, we'll let them. Re- we'll let you know. We'll keep them in a few days, and then we'll let them recover, and then we'll bring them back, and we'll let them recover. And bring them. And it was called colloquially the Cat and Mouse Act. It was like a cat playing with a mouse until it eventually yeah. died. It was just basically meant to exhaust them, and so they couldn't wow. formally protest and do it properly. And that was nasty. And that's when you get to see the times where they're just like, right, arson, right, proper bombings this time. We're going to, yeah, yeah. you know, cut all the um, telephone lines, and we're going to burn down shops and everything else so it's quite a yeah nasty time mm. but my book isn't set then it's set slightly before then so it's a bit cheerier for your kiddies that is nice <laughs> <laughs> i say kiddies i mean the thing is because it's got jujitsu in it and because i'm a fan of jujitsu and i do do jujitsu i do um i do do it um so i know a lot of 50 year old black belts who've been reading my book enjoying the violence that is in there because it's accurate nice. violence which is quite nice so the 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 throw names are real and the amount of horse poo there was is real. So <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's a bit, it's aimed at the sort of Harry Potter age kind yeah. of thing. So if you see a man, yeah, yeah. a grown up adult reading The Unstoppable Letty Peg, I think that's admirable and I think he should. It's good for him. <laughs> a bit of feminism. Well, it's it's for the historical intellect. Exactly. And the, and the correct throws and knocks. So that, yeah. yeah. Um, so were the suffragettes, were these kind of working class women or was it a range or was it sort of the nobility? Well, it's really weird. There is a mixture. So the the point being is it's mainly the people who front it and the people who are doing the letters and organising were all quite, you know, middle upper class women. Yeah. And they're fighting for the rights. We sort of say what they're fighting for at the moment in like, you know, 1910, they're fighting for the right of women over 30 who are married, who own property to vote. Yeah, because at this time, not all men had the vote. This was a very mm. specific class of women there. But at the same time, you had women like um, Annie Kenny, who was, you know, uh, she lost a finger working in a factory in Manchester when she was nine. You know, so mm. this is you have working class women also doing it. The trouble is that you know 
the beauty of patriarchy is when you are a woman who is highly educated in order to get a good husband and then you've got your husband and you've had your children and then you're at your wit's end because there's only a certain amount of flower arranging for the church you can do before wanting to, you know, find something else in life, you know. So you mm. either go hysterical and go absolutely barming mad or you go barbie mad and join the WSPU and start, you know, beating people up. So sure. <laughs> that is, you know, so the recruits were largely the people who could, which were generally mm. women with the, you know, because if you're working, you know, if you're working in a jam factory in the south of London, you do not, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a husband who is coming home at night rather than spending all of his dot money down the pub, it's, you know, there's, it's a really hard, you know, you don't have any spare minutes. You know, housework at this point takes an enormous amount of your time. You yeah. don't have the time to do anything other than, you know, survive, really. So this, this is why you see it's a very sort of middle class women thing. And also the mm. fact that they are not fighting for the right for working class women at this point. Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. in an ideal world, they'd like to see that. However, um, mm. as it stands. Priorities. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm wondering then if the crafts that we see from the suffragettes tend to be those that are known to the middle and upper classes as opposed to, you know, the skills that were needed, like you say, in the factories. Um, yeah. I mean, I would imagine so. I don't think... I mean, if you look at just the things they were using, so the fabrics, um, then these are not second-hand dresses that they're tarting up. These mm. are, we've bought the fabric, thank you, for this purpose. <laughs> yeah. um, there's... And and if you look at the jewellery, I mean, obviously. Mm. Um, I'm not sure what working-class women were doing at this time. I don't imagine you had much in the way of, you know extra money to spend on your hobbies particularly if you had children you know if right. you your crafts would be remaking resewing your children's clothes so they fit you know a bit later on and saving sure. up for basic household stuff um in this case the women were making these crafts for the purpose of one spreading the message of the suffragettes and also raising money for you know so they can you know have more political clout um, when you were doing the research for your book, did you come across any sort of interesting crafted objects that particularly caught your eye? I'm trying to. I went to oh, which which museum was it? Well, there was a museum that was having a. Um, oh, I can't remember its name now. It wasn't the British Museum, so it wasn't the best. Um, <laughs> You're contractually oh, it was Museum of to London, exactly. I think it's Museum of London or something like that. Oh so yes, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. They had a big. They had a big display of suffragette, you know, stuff. Um, which included all the, you know, jewellery with the, you know, elaborate, the green, the white and the purple mm. jewels and that sort of thing, which is is incredibly elaborate. They also had the medals. Um, and I just remember the banners because the banners are very, you know, they look like they're done by machine. And theoretically, they could have been done by machine, but they weren't. So they were done very right. neat, neat stitching by very sensible, very clever women. And, and they've done, you know, Beautiful letters and that style, that sort of. I I'm afraid you can see I'm not a very good, you know, typographer or, or you know, crafter myself because I don't know any of the lingo. But the, <laughs> there's a very Edwardian style. Uh, it's almost Art Nouveau, but not quite yet. Sort mm -hmm. of that elaborate, flowy. Um, what do they call it? I want to say house style, but that's not right. Anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, the, I don't know either. <laughs> I don't know. Well, the, there's a certain type. I, I, I sort of vaguely know it's in architecture. I don't know it's in, you know, ah, right, uh, sort okay. of like the sort of cottagey kind of. Anyway, 
Point but being, sort of the, the points, yeah. the the fonts and the designs and stuff were very of their era. And yeah, they're very yeah. fashionable. And that's the nice thing. If you've got unlike other movements, you've got a load of you know, because you can't get a job as a graphic mm. designer or as an artist and you can't be taken seriously. You have this untapped body of skill and of professional understanding that's never been unleashed and you give them a project and they go wild because, mm. you know, when you've got women with purpose and, you know, and I'm saying like, you know, all of these were middle class housewives no a lot of them were middle class underlings you know they were the mm. teenagers and just getting into it and going right and they've got the skill they've got a passion they've got a drive and you can just see it in the way that they're designing things and but it's not only it's not only the design it's also things like it's the opportune moments for photography it's the opportune moments for stage you know this mm. performance um i think it was sylvia pankhurst one of um emmeline pankhurst's daughters who was incredibly good at propaganda i mean she she gives goebbels a run for his money you know she's really good at knowing what will look good what will get the attention yeah. and making sure the photographers are there just the organization of it i mean mm. and the organization is crazy so when they go on these big marches they're, they're, they're different town to town. They each get, you know, you know, they've got a little union in their own places and they've got a thing, right, we're going to march and this circuit around Hyde Park, etc. I think this happened in 1909. And we're going to go in this order. So that means ladies on the inside must walk slower than the ladies on the outside, but they must keep oh, in wow. pace. So it's one step, two step, three steps, four step. Nobody should be out of place. And it goes white, green, purple, not purple, white, green. That would be ridiculous. And you've got to do it, you know, really like, precise yeah <laughs> to the point where you're just like oh my goodness i couldn't be part of this i'm far too much of a free spirit or lazy um mm. but yeah mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones blue nile has something she'll adore need it fast most items can ship overnight Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, so these were women that were making stuff that they needed for themselves. And I wonder if they turned to crafting and making precisely because they didn't, you know, they didn't have the means for ordering mass production and turning to the industry that was ruled by the men. Maybe the reason that they made this stuff themselves was because they didn't actually have the infrastructure available to them. 
they were using, you know, because the, the whole point of doing the small crafts is you, you make the money and you get the donations. And so you are, you have national newspapers like the Suffragette, which is going out and vote for women. These are all going out, these are going out nationally as an official paper. So women oh, wow. are selling these on the streets and everything else. So this is, when I sort of say it's crafty, it's it's crafty in the sense that this is a banner that we're making for our particular, you know, you know, suffragist or suffragette. Yeah. You know, uh, this is our banner for our little, you know, branch. That is all crafted and that is all elaborate. And you want to show how important your town is by putting all that effort in, really just to sort of show off to other women, look at what we can do. Um, Mm. But on the other hand, you have, okay, let's make this professional. So Sylvia Pankhurst was a professional PR woman. I mean, she managed to get her stories in the papers that she needed to. She had the connections. She managed to start their own paper, which was funded, you know, largely, you know, obviously male funds as well, because men were involved in the suffragettes and suffragists. Um, But they were they were printing this paper and they went to prison. (laughs) So (laughs) in nineteen twelve, there's a huge court case because it was seen as you're inciting violence. And by inciting okay. violence, and they took them to court, and they it cost them a fortune, and it split the whole SPU in half, and it was a year's big deal. But yeah, no, to pretend that this wasn't, this was all craft would be wrong. But um, mm. I think it's certainly on an individual little branch level. If you've got a little branch somewhere, and you're wanting to show up in a national stage. You know, I mean, the great crafts they were really doing was bombs. They were very good at making bombs. Um, they really were. Their incendiary devices weren't as good, so they had very basic incendiary devices which they're using to blow up police boxes. Uh, not police boxes. I don't think they did any. It's mainly post boxes. So they would oh, post yeah. a little bomb which would go in a post box, and then you'd have a little incendiary device inside which would um, burn it. But the basic one that they were using, I think, was potassium. So you get potassium. It you know, become, you know, it, it turns, um, and it was sulfur, wasn't it? Mm. Was it? Ah, oh, I see, this is where I'm forgetting stuff. But basically, it was a substance whereby once the the gel it was in had evaporated off, it would mm. set fire to itself because it reacts with oxygen in the air. And, of course, you know, some of these women weren't very good at preparing these and others would get distracted and go to the shops first and that sort of thing. So you had a lot of arrests made by women who caught on fire on the way to the post box and were actually arrested oh, wow. in the doctor's office, <laughs> having their burns treated. Because <laughs> oh. you had women catching fire. Because uh, they, weren't, they weren't particularly good at those, but their bombs are pretty good and they were quite good at, you know, they would write... Um, uh, messages on like you know the lawns and that sort of thing for votes for mm. women and the rest of it, which is I admit not a very popular craft nowadays, but it is a unique bit of public statement art. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, that's uh, one way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, but they were. I mean, all of that sort of stuff. These different ways of because you know part of them they didn't want to cause a loss of life. They were quite good about that. This was mainly just mm. to go err, pay attention yeah. to us. And the way that they organised... I mean, the organisation is crazy. So when they did, like, window smashing, they would literally have, you know, hundreds of women, different Mm. parts of London, all at exactly... And it was never, like, on the exact o'clock. It was, you know, at two minutes to six, all taking out toffee hammers and smashing the nearest high street window. But having that all planned and organised beforehand so each woman knew where she had to be at that precise yeah. time, all smashing and all running from the police at once. Jeez. So 
and these are private property, you know. There's there's mm. wonderful ones. That court case in 1912 when they're um they they've got all of their records come up. So all of their old notes and sort of correspondences are in the court documents. So you can actually read them. And there's one woman, this poor woman who had a um a stool in um Hyde Park. Oh, not Hyde Park. What's that one that's south of Hyde Park by Marble Arch? That, but Green Park, isn't it? Yes. She, yeah. had, a, she had a stool there. And it was sort of, you know, it's like a tea stand. That was basically mm. what it was. Suffragettes burnt it down as protest. And she wrote to them saying, listen, I'm this is a female-owned business. I don't have the thing. I understand, I'm sympathetic with your cause. Um, but can you, you know, this is really bad. Can I have a, some sort of apology? Um, I'm going to rebuild. And if you could you know, possibly give me money towards that. And she got a very curt letter sort of saying, well, I'm sorry, but this is part of the fight. And if you don't understand that, this is war. And then two weeks later, it's just like, I rebuilt it and you burnt it down again. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, really like, wow. They're, they're not sympathetic to anybody who doesn't, you know, yeah. who, who go, comes up even slightly against them in any way. So they were not, yeah... Yeah, it, they're hard to like when you get to know the suffragettes mm. a bit. But um, yeah, the the suffragists are lovely, but very ineffective. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been we've been asking nicely for sixty five years, and I'm sure there'll be something soon. <laughs> just a matter of time. <laughs> exactly. We just keep asking nicely. Um, but yeah, um, I was going to bring this conversation around to talking about kind of craft in the modern day and feminism but i realize we've just been talking about bombs which is not so much part of a, the mainstream feminist one, movement anymore but, but should it be though this is the question <laughs> <laughs> that's the question that history asks us well. <laughs> and thinking about kind of what what the suffragettes were doing and what that can tell us about the modern day. Mm. Um, you know, craft is still a big part of feminist action. Um, we saw the pussy hats at the women's march in 2017. Yeah. Um, I forget the name of the women that made the pattern, but it's basically like these, this like pink knitted or sewn hat. One of them had is in the British ears. Museum collection, just so you know. No way. Yeah. But one Part of the originals yeah. or just an example. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Oh, cool. I don't. I don't know. I think it was one of the originals, but I'm not 100 nice. or from the original group anyway. I don't know if it was one of the first to be ah, made. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, that's in the collection, along with all of the um, nasty women make history ones. Oh and, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. You know, um, and all of that sort of stuff. It, it is all collected. I mean, that's the wonderful thing about the British Museum. I'm, I'm banging on about it because I do a podcast to them called the British Museum Membercast. But um, if, you're, if you're interested, but one of the great things is that they collect modern stuff. So it's an ongoing mm. collection. It's not just the old things. It is the, oh, this is interesting now. Let's do it. So they've got like credit cards. They've got a whole okay. you know, thing of mobile phone stuff mm. with the boxes and the original packaging and everything yeah. else. And they also obviously collect all of these different protest um and art as well. There was a South African art exhibition which, you know, had the where the colour purple because of South African protests using that featured greatly, and it was mm. amazing to see how different peoples doing different protests sort of represent themselves through art and through craft mainly as a sort yeah. of big demonstration of going this is us and how big and fantastical you can make, you know, what you're mm. doing. Well, they should have had yeah. a massive blow up suffragette, of course. That was rising yeah. above going, way. That would have been... <laughs> <laughs> well, like a big inflatable one. Yeah, but, um, you know, it would... 
it was all it was all a bit it's all a bit sort of practical unfortunately mm. uh, so all the stuff i don't i don't know if it counts as craft but all the sort of like you know because you could you know how like shops and stuff should like go oh yeah you know um the hashtag me too you got like top shop selling t-shirts with it and that sort of stuff right but, you know back in you know selfridges and I think Liberty as well, they'd have like, you know, they sell the ribbons so you can make your stuff. But they also sort already made rosettes. And I think okay. there was, um, I, I think I mentioned the heart-shaped cases, didn't I? But I believe yeah. those things, even like suffragette toilet soap and, you know, really sort of, because this is just the time when material is, you know, the capitalist, yeah, you know, shop it, shopping and, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. thing was really getting going. So... You know, so the they first department in. stores, they cash in on it. So you could get like a lovely little belt with the ribbon, you know, the right colours and that sort of thing. We're really fashionable. Interesting. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think what we can't, the big difference between then and now is now people make the banners, they go on the protests and there's a sort of set idea of it. And there's this sort of thing of going, this is what we do because we're doing it for the protest. I do think that a lot of these women had to do something. Mm. And it's because when you're, not you, there is no career opportunity there are no opportunities to do stuff you will do what you do to the best of your ability um see my my grandmother i could tell she was a she was a housewife she was a renin during the war and she was a housewife and she helped run a charity for a time she helped with that but she obviously helped with that and the men were there and she helped very strongly and you could just see that she was a natural business person but she never got to do it and she never got that sort of and i don't think you know she it wouldn't have occurred to her really it's the 1950s it was post war she had babies but no you know this is the dream now be happy with it exactly and you you do get this and she loved embroidery and she loved painting she loved gardening and she everything all this energy put into this stuff and it's great and it's lovely to sort of you know inherited a few of her bits and bobs but you're just there just going Imagine what you could have done if things had been different. Not if you're a man, but if things had been different and you had that, you know, and it's this sort of weird, you don't know whether to be, you know, I sort of see craft and I see, you know, these hobbies as, one, the fact that we call them craft and we call them hobbies and we don't take them seriously because it's girls, it's girls doing stuff, you know, it's very silly. But also it's... (sighs) I, I, it sort of makes me sad because it sort of makes me see, wonder what these people could have done if they were given... But on the other hand, it might have all, you know, my granny, she might have, you know, I say this, she might have been a terribly awful politician and ruined the world. Who knows? So, Who knows? <laughs> equal opportunities might have been saved. <laughs> might have been saved from her terrible um, yeah, yeah, yeah. leadership. But, yeah, no, it's, it is a weird sort of... You know, there's a great... I think when we look at crafts from the past, particularly crafts which men poo-poo and aren't seen as high art because they didn't have mm. enough naked wobbly bits in them and they're all sort of, like, made for children, mm. which are beautiful, proper bits of art that if they were mm. in a museum or up on a gallery wall, you'd go, wow. I mean, I'm thinking particularly... I mean, if you look at some of... I've seen some of those blankets that women make in America, those ones where, those, where they have the crochet, you know, the different squares and they've built this yeah. huge thing up and you're just there going, oh, my goodness. And... Part of it makes me terribly sad because that's so much better than most of what Picasso does. Not that I'm picking <laughs> yeah. on Picasso, but fuck Picasso. Um, <laughs> <laughs> seriously. Um, I mean, compare, you know, the creativity and stuff, it's all, 
it's it belies this frustration mm. of this is all I can do. It's very much, you know, I, I every time I'm sat in lockdown just going, oh, but I can't go out and I can't see my friends and I can't, well, that's no different to having a husband at war back in the past, you know. When you don't have yeah. the money to do anything and you're in charge of your own house and your daily routine is dull. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do about it and you're stuck here. So you make the best of it. So you draw your little pictures and you make little podcasts. Admittedly, you didn't do that in the past, but you know what I mean. And you sure. and you, you try and get what you try and make the things, the small little things the best you can. But that's so interesting because so many people in lockdown turned to crafts mm-hmm. and t- channeled the excess energy. I think energy is a really interesting thing. And you said it earlier, like people challenging either angry energy if they don't have the vote and they want the vote or channeling boredom in lockdown or anxiety in lockdown into making stuff Mm. because it just feels like the one thing that you can do and at the end of knitting your pussy hat or at the end of appliqueing your votes for women banner or whatever it is at least you've achieved that even if tomorrow you don't have the vote even if next year you don't at least you've done something it's a way of making the intangible tangible so it's a way of showing that your frustrations are real and having other people see them and acknowledge them and going that was there that happened it's a big deal but it also shows how deeply you know isolated you are (laughs) Mm. in that little way and this is a way of showing that we're all together and stuff i mean the beautiful thing about the pussy hat thing is it was such a sort of coming together in a big sort of like mass standing up and saying we voted for what yeah what (laughs) why yeah and you know it's just yeah and it felt even though it might not have been but it really did feel at the time that it was pure misogyny Mm. that would allow that to happen um, I'm, but what a beautiful, I, peaceful protest. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, suffragettes will tell you, it does nothing. <laughs> Peace does nothing. <laughs> well, not not on that day, maybe, but it does It does unite people. Um, it, it seems to. And it spreads but then a it message. Also, I mean, then you, then you look at... Um, what's it? We are the 99%. Those movements, mm. incredibly peaceful... And just fractured under themselves so quickly because, you know, it, it's it's amazing how good movements just go, you know, they just don't accept that everybody can't be part of them. And that's sad. Mm. Yeah, so true. But then, yeah. you know, the relics of these movements, if they don't achieve what they wanted to go out to achieve, the relics are what people have made to put towards them, which is interesting. Yeah, and... You know, and you have all this love and this care and this, you know, the fact mm. that if you make something you love and care shows that you love and care about the thing it represents, which is a exactly. good thing. It's a good thing. Definitely. Um, I think that's a great place to end the podcast. Um, so if people have enjoyed hearing about the suffragettes, where yeah. can they go to find out more about what we've been chatting about? Well, if you go to izzy.com, that is isodi.com, you'll find more about me and my book and you'll find links to my other podcast, which includes the British Museum member cast, accused terrible lizards, which are about dinosaurs and nothing to do with crafts, unless you like cleaning fossils. Um, is that your craft? Mm. Uh, That'll count, yeah. Exactly. And um, you can find um, links to all my other little projects and everything else. Um, if you want to find out a lot more about suffragettes, I really recommend checking out Naomi Paxton's work because I think she's absolutely fantastic. Um, other than that, there's loads of amazing books. 
but I recommend starting with the unstoppable Letty Peg because it's a bit of a laugh and it's a bit of an adventure. And you don't have to think about the history. You can just enjoy the story. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Izzy. It's been great to chat to you. Thank you. So that was the awesome Izzy Lawrence. Thanks so much to her for taking the time to come and talk to me on the pod. Definitely check out all of her other projects. The book is called The Unstoppable Letty Peg and is available, you know, from just all the normal places that you can get books. And her website is izzy.com, I-S-Z-I.com. You can say hi to us on Twitter. We're at Real Talk. That's R-I-A-L Talk. And as always, you can follow us on Instagram at Handmade Pod. Thanks as always to Dave Shepard for our marvellous cover art and to Alex Lathbridge for the fab music mix. That's everything for this episode. Next week, I'll be talking to archaeological conservator Angela Middleton about leather. So until then, take very good care and I'll look forward to speaking to you next time on Handmade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.